this message is maybe seems a little weird to you. It's called How to Plan Your Own Funeral. Because last week we talked about a death you can predict, which is Christ's death, that we knew that he was going to die, and, and in a supernatural way he predicted that he'd come back from the dead, as he did. If you could predict your own death or know when you were going to die, would you want to know that? You see, I, I always, uh, I seen a mime one time, and it was your heart beating. This is a regular heartbeat. This is what my heart looks like most of the time. But anyhow, it beats. And on that moment, when God wants to, it's it. You're out of here. He says, would you want to know that? I think it's, a, it's kind of a strange question to even ask us, but would you want to know the time? Would it make you live any different if you knew it was in the next week or two or maybe even six months to a year? I know sometimes doctors do that. Not, not on a, I don't think on a regular basis. Say, well, you know, you've got so much time uh, to live. It's like two guys that in their 90s that were really close all their life, and one of them was getting ready to depart. He was on his deathbed, and his friend come down, pulled up a chair and sat by his bed, and... His friend, the one that was out of bed, said to his friend that was in bed, hey, you know what? I, I have this burning desire to know if there's baseball in heaven. Is there any way you can let me know? If there is, let me. I, I would really appreciate it. So the guy passes, and a few nights later, this guy's laying in bed, and he hears this voice. Hey, I got some good news, and I got some bad news. The good news is there is baseball in heaven. The bad news is you're pitching on Wednesday. <laughs> so I'm listening for a voice for you, Mike, but I haven't heard anything yet. So <laughs> and I guess uh, what I want to talk about this morning is you know a lot of I think a lot of times what we preach is rote. It's reminding us who we are in Christ and and sometimes it's, it's, it's new information that we need to know. But those of us that's been in the faith a while, we've probably heard this before. But it's the thing you need, I think we need to hear over and over again. We can plan our own funeral in a spiritual sense. And it has to deal with, with our old nature and who we are as humans, actually. But one of the things about coming to Christ, and we know that when He calls our name, that we will exit this earth and be in glory with Him, and it's something to look forward to. But, as I talked about a few weeks ago about the dash between birth and death, there's, there's a lot of time sometimes in there, and we have to live on this earth, and we have to get in sync with Christ and live the life that He wants us to live. Funeral in Webster's, Webster's is defined as ceremonies held in connection with the burial and cremation of the dead. And some believe that talking about death is, is morbid. It is for those without Christ. It's probably morbid. It's probably unhealthy. It's off color because they don't have any hope. I believe there's, there's, there's too many people in, in this life and on this earth that believe when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. And as Campola said, they take you out and throw you in a hole and go back to church and eat potato salad. There, there's a, there, I've talked to people that, that they don't believe that, and that's people with no hope. So, if you get a conversation about death with them, they, hey, we don't want to talk about that because they know that it's coming, but they know it's the end completely. So, they don't. But for those of us who 
uh, have accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within us, we, we sometimes talk about heaven and we, we talk about people we want to see there. We, we sometimes dream about it. And on those really rough days, it, heaven don't look so bad. You, you know, especially if you're suffering, there are many people that suffer. And there are things on this earth, I do believe, that's worse than death. They want to get out of here. They want to exit. But that's up to God, actually. So we think about our walk here on earth. It's not an easy walk. And I am convinced that the most difficult thing that you and I will do on this earth is walk the walk that Christ wants us to walk. What hinders our walk? We have enemies, three actually. We have the world that's anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-God, and that sentiment continues to grow. Diane and I, on the way back to Florida, was listening to Christian radio, and there was a guy on there, John Dickerson, and he had written this book, Hope for the Nations. And in this, he's painting this picture. He said, Merriam-Webster Dictionary comes up with new words every year, and the new word today is post-truth. Was post-Christian to a degree that we, we live in a post-Christian world, and he's saying that that as, as time progresses, we are living in a post-truth world, that there are no absolute truths, that this is a myth and a fable. There is nothing concrete anymore because if you're not post-truth, you're po- you're, you're, you live by feelings. And whatever you feel is right, that is right. And who are you or anybody else to question that? What you think You become your own God in a sense, and you set the rules. You set the morality because there's no other place to get it from. The Christian thought is out of the question. And this this guy went and interviewed some professors in different colleges, which is a bizarre fact because Harvard and Yale and major universities were founded on Christian principles, and they were to train clergy and pastors and people for the faith, and now they don't want anything to do with God. But anyhow, he went to these universities and interviews to interviewed these professors, and these professors said, if a job opens up on our faculty, and we know that this person coming in is a Christian, we will boycott the board, we will boycott them, we do not want any Christian influence in this school, because it is wrong, it's built on myth and fables, and beside that, Christians are dangerous people. Their ideology is dangerous. We live in, I live in a sheltered world. I don't know if, if you've heard that before, but nonetheless, this is the world that we live in today, and this is the road that society's going. So we, we have to be aware of that. So we fight that. In our walk, we fight the world. Secondly, the flesh is the old nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. It's in us. It's on, we have to deal with it. And then, of course, third is the devil, the mastermind behind the other two that fuels that. So when we talk about that, we, we, we have to die to self to live for Christ. You've heard that before. What attitude should we have? Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Paul said, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Not like, but the same. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven, gave him a name that is above every other name, so 
at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. John 12, 24, scripture we used last week. The truth is, Jesus speaking, a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil. Unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. The harvest of new lives was us, that he died for us, so it would be a plentiful harvest of souls, actually. To live the life that God desires and expects us to live. We have to understand the biblical concept of death and resurrection. Life comes out of death, always has, always will. And all four Gospels teach the concept that there must be death to the believer's soul activity, that is our mind, our will, and our emotions. These are ours. But that's the activity that goes on that we have to overcome and give these to Christ. The soul of the believer is dealt with by bearing his cross daily. There is an unending day-by-night need for the cross to operate in our life. Jesus states this and this principle in this way in Mark 8, 34 and 35. Then he calls his disciples and the crowds to come over and listen. If any of you wants to be my follower, he told them, you must put aside your selfish ambition. Shoulder your cross and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. That death and resurrection principle has got to be in our life daily. We've got to understand that. We need to die to self and be alive to the to Holy Spirit. But our souls sometimes stand in the way of a full life in Christ. Because as the Holy Spirit comes to us, sometimes we... We rear up, so to speak, and we don't want to do what God wants us to do. And that's what this is saying. And we want to live by our natural life, a slave to our temperament, set in our ways, our emotions directing our lives. And if that happens, we will never be pliable to God. And we will live a miserable existence. Because it's the same old adage of the cartoon is the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, and they're both whispering in our ears, and we have to decide what we're going to do. And God does not make us do that. It's it's our choice. He gives us a way to help us to live by the Spirit, but a lot of times we don't take it. Our soul is the, the seat to our natural energy consisting of mind, our will, and our emotions. And it's only if we are willing to die to that voice that God can release the resurrection power into our lives. Only if we lose ourselves, And it is a tough, tough situation. We, We must go through Gethsemane and the cross. But after we do that, after we decide to do that, God releases His power in our lives and changes and makes us new people. That is... Three-letter word is our biggest problem. It's sin. The Holy Spirit makes His revealing truth very plain on how to overcome sin in Romans 6, 1 through 14. gives us instructions how to break that power. Paul, he asks a funny question. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with him? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. 
And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised as he was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share his new life. We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once to defeat sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. Always remember that our old nature, our old man, our old self is crucified with Christ when we were baptized in the body of Christ. It's the whole symbolism of baptism that when you go under the water that the sin and the degradation of your old life is buried, it's drowned, and God puts it in the deepest part of the ocean and puts up a no fishing sign. I think sometimes we, we forget that. It's, it's gone. Death to self is when we live subordinate to the Holy Spirit, giving Him dominion over our spirit, which was made alive at new birth. John 3, 6 says that. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Here's how Paul did it. In Paul's life, when the temptation came, when the old self, the old nature wanted to rear up and take charge again, this is what he would say, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I have decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That was his focus in life. That is what drew him through life, so to speak. Life from death is taught in each of the Gospels. Jesus teaches in Matthew 10, 38, and 39, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. That's strong language. There's no gray areas there. It's black and white. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you'll find it. Note that taking one's cross and following Jesus is the same thing. So a committed follower of Christ chooses to live according to his soul life, and he, was, he is willing to lose or die to self to his own desires and live according to the life of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit has placed within him. Mark 8, 33 and 35. <clears> through 35. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and then said to Peter very sternly, Get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then he called his disciples and the crowds to come over and listen again. If any of you wants to be my followers, he told them, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. So reading the text of this passage, Peter had just attempted to keep Jesus from going into Jerusalem. He meant well. He knew Jesus might be killed. But Jesus told Peter that he was listening really to his old nature instead of the Holy Spirit, actually. 
Luke 17, 29 and 30. Until the morning lot left Sodom, then fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the hour when the Son of Man returns. So Jesus draws this parallel between Lot leaving Sodom and his return to this earth. Note verses 34 and 35 of Luke 17. That night two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken away and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So this passage, verses 34 and 35, clearly refer to Christ's return. So let's look at the passage between, between 34 and 35 and 29 and 30. 31 and 33 read like this. On that day, a person outside the house must not go into the house to pack. A person in the field must not return to town. Remember what happened to Lot's life. 33 brings us all together. Verse 33 does. Whoever clings to this life will lose it, and whoever loses this life will save it. Clearly, the passage is warning us as believers not to be engaged in the things of the world, to be engaged in the thing that the old nature wants to drag us back into. The Holy Spirit um, guides us and directs us if we listen. Jesus said this in His Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 21, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The real question is, where is your heart? See, we who are in the age of grace, we, we get this idea, and it's a true idea, that God will forgive us when we sin. That's what the Bible tells us, and we've heard it preached, and we pretty much know that. Well, here's what happened in this whole concept of our walk. The devil comes, and he creates this temptation, and it really looks good because we know in the back of our minds that we really want to do this, whatever it is. And we know that if we do it, that God has promised to forgive us. He said he would. But what the devil doesn't show you is the scenario of the consequences that you will create when you get out here, whatever that might be. It could be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And you're thinking, I, God loves me. I'm his kid, and I can jump over here and waller in this mud and I'll wash it off before I go home and it'll be all right. But it's never all right because you've created these consequences. And a lot of these consequences, for the majority of the time, are severe. They leave scars. They leave scars on you. They leave scars on your spouse, on your children, on your family, on your church. And, and that's, that's the problem. Yeah, you come back and God will forgive you. But you've created this mess over here, this bed that you've made, and you've got to sleep in that. God's not going to take that away. That is, the, that is the problem. That's one of the biggest ways that Satan dupes us, actually. And the thrust of the Scripture, and what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying, stay away from that and not have this in your life. Follow me. And when that old nature rears up, say, Satan hit the road, <laughs> I belong to Jesus, and I'm going to walk with him. And he has given us the power to do that, but a lot of times we don't take it. John 12, 24 through 25 again. The truth is a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil, and unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of our new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, and those who despise their life in this world, we'll keep it for eternal life.
It's linked with death and dying, this old self, that part of our soul, our will, and our emotions. The old nature needs to die for us to truly live in Christ. I repeat that over because it needs to be repeated, and it's something we, we need to grasp. And here in Mark 8, 34 and 35 that we've already read, but I want to go back to it again. This is kind of an, an, an in-your-face directive to me as I read it. Then he called his disciples and the crowds to come over and listen. If any of you wants to be my follower, he told them, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. It, it, it rings the truth to me that th this is not a game. It is not a mantle or a title that we wear that it's a life-and-death struggle to the end. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for the sake, my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. Die to self. But the question is, will you? I don't know how long you've been a believer, but you think about your spiritual life. How many times has it been really up and down for you? And I know... For the vast majority of us, it can't be a constant, straight-up climb. I wish I could say that, but it's not been for me. Have you had your, a spiritual funeral where you deliberately and decisively put self or the old nature to death, or you just kind of toyed with it, maybe? As God told the Galatians in 2.20, we were crucified with Christ. I believe that you have to be serious, totally serious about this. And I believe it almost comes to the point, you almost have to plan an execution. It, it's not a, <laughs> it's a terrible word because we know the connotations that it brings. The French Revolution, the guillotine in France, and how many other de de devices have been created to take human life? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We know that whole scenario but in our own lives, we don't think about that so much. We need to plan an execution, and then we have a funeral, actually a full-blown celebration because you finally are free from being ruled, being bossed around, being taken down the wrong path of sin by the old nature, and you get fed up with it, and you've had enough. So mentally and emotionally, with a heartfelt thrust, you take the old nature, and you nail it, on that cross. And here's the point. It dies a slow, painful death. And it struggles to get off. And how many of us has had it struggle to get off and come back and wreak havoc in our lives when we should have left it nailed there, but we didn't. We didn't get it nailed close enough or tight enough, if you will. I, I believe that every morning you and I should have a small graveside or a cross-side ceremony. And in that ceremony, in our mind, we say, God, I'm, I'm going to put myself on your cross, and I'm going to nail it. And, and a lot of times, you need more than one nail. Sometimes you need a thousand. Those nails are prayers, and you're, 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 you're nailing it in your mind. And then before you get out of bed, piece by piece, you put on the armor of God, as it says in Ephesians 6. Mentally do that. You buckle the belt of truth. You put that body armor which is God's Kevlar, if you will. It's God's righteousness. You slip on the shoes of peace. You hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of Scripture says of Satan that he throws at you. 
You put on the helmet of salvation, and then you pick up your weapon, which is it's, it's our weapon. It's our only defensive piece in that armor, actually, to use. And then we add tons and tons of prayer on the top of that. And I do believe if we do that, what starts like a funeral turns into a celebration because we are praising God that we are free. That we are praising God that we're, we're, we're not under that, that power, that drive, that drives us into the mud almost every day if we let it actually. And for the great fruit that the Holy Spirit creates in your life when you die to self and live for Him, hopefully this fruit is in your life. Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Does this describe your life daily? Is your life daily filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? If it's not, then it should be. I'm preaching to me. Same, I'm just like you guys. I, <laughs> I'm in the boat with you. Maybe you need to plan your own spiritual funeral and your execution of that old nature that if you will allow him, he is such a bully. And he will destroy and rob you of all your joy. He'll kill your witness. And if you let him your entire life, he'll take life, both here on earth and forever in eternity. I say these things because, because I love you. And I, it's part of who I am, and it's part of my function as your pastor to tell you these things. And it's your responsibility to... Pay heed to what the Holy Spirit says to your heart. I don't know what He said to you this morning. If you need to nail that old nature to the cross this morning, I really advise you do that. In your mind, you can come. People will pray with you here, answer questions, show you what you need. And if you're here and Christ is not in your heart this morning, it would be our great pleasure to show you how to know Him. It, I always say this at the end. I... I it doesn't matter if you're honest with me to a degree, because I'm just Eddie. But it is really important that you're honest with God and the Holy Spirit as He speaks into your heart. Father, we come to You now, and we just, as I always say, Lord, just, just help us to be honest with You. Because whether we admit it or not, You've said something to each one of us. Now, it's our prerogative, it's our opportunity, if you will, to either accept what you say and obey you or to stick our fingers in our spiritual ears and not listen. But your way is best. You have our path mapped out the way you'd like us to go, and you can't make us. That's one thing about being free. We are free moral agents, and we make choices on our own. Holy Spirit, you come to us, and you guide and direct and give us instruction as well as our enemy as well. We hear different voices, but I just pray, God, this morning we're listening to your voice and whatever you say to us. If somebody's here, Lord, that is struggling with that old nature, that in this moment, in their mind, they might cry out to you for you to give them the strength and the help to nail it to the cross and become closer to you. Confess any sin that needs to be confessed, Father, and if there are those there this morning, here this morning that don't know you, that they might really ponder 
their future and their thoughts on whether to accept you or reject you. And I just pray, God, that as you speak to their heart and soften that Holy Spirit, that they might already accept you, accept you with open arms. So right now, Father, we just turn all these things over to you. You're a good, good Father, and you love us, and we're thankful. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.